Hi everyone, and thank you so much for listening to the Girls Who VC podcast. Girls Who VC is the first organization dedicated to bringing young women into venture capital. My name is Isabella Mandis, and I'm the founder and CEO of Girls Who VC. On this episode, we have Jacques-Philippe Fivigier, who's the founder, chairman, and CEO of Good Light Capital. We had a super insightful discussion where he talked about his experiences and how he is trying to use tech and innovation in order to amplify voices that are currently underrepresented in the venture capital community. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Jacques Philippe, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you being here and willing to talk about your experience in VC and what got you to where you are today. Hey, Isabella, it's a real pleasure and privilege to be here with you and to be able to share whatever bit of insights I have with the whole community of girls from VC. Amazing work you've been doing, and I'm happy to you know, contribute in any way that I can. Thank you so much. I was wondering if you could start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure, I'll give you the quick high level. Um, born in New York, grew up in Miami, uh, summers in Haiti which is where my family spent most of the last several hundred years. I've been a lifelong martial artist. I've had a long time meditation practice. I grew up in you know pretty tough circumstances in inner cities of Miami. So when I say Miami, people often think South Beach. It was more like Opalaka, uh, very different. Um, from there, I went to undergrad at Georgetown, business school at Dartmouth. And my career has largely been split between a couple large investment firms and building some fast-growing enterprises. And so I was at AIG Investments. We had about $540 billion in assets. And I worked across the private asset classes. And I worked directly with the CEO there. During the Great Recession, uh, we spun out with the third-party assets, about $100 billion. And I went there in a similar capacity. And then separately, I've been involved helping to uh, build and scale a number of Enterprises. I was co-founder and CEO of a solar product company called Empowered. Um, during my tenure, went from concept to market distribution in more than 70 countries. It was meant to meet the need about half the planet that still uses kerosene and candles and things like that for their basic lighting and energy needs. Uh, we did pretty well in those developing markets, but we did even better in terms of absolute sales in places like Japan and the US. Definitely learned a lot from that. And then separately, I've also helped create a number of nonprofits, uh, some focus on international issues that I care about, some focus on domestic issues. One of the domestic ones is called the Council of Early Professionals. I helped create that when I was still in business school. It's focused on empowering women and underrepresented groups to more fully realize their professional potential. I was on the board for 12 years. It now has about 80 corporate partners, including most of the investment banks. Um, top law firm, Google, Facebook, you name it. And again, learn a lot from that experience. And last but not least, I'm a father of two. Uh, my son, Dr. Maxine, is 14. And my daughter is 17. She's in the process of coming back from colleges she applied to now. And so I've worn many, many a hat and you know, loving what you're doing. Thank you so much for taking us through your experience. You touched on being both a founder and investor. I was wondering if you could talk about what insights you gained from starting a company and how that's helped you now from the other side, investing in them. You know, I think 
what you'll find, and you've probably already started to find, there are different types of investors, some that have been founders, some that have been purely investors, some that are hybrid, I'm more than hybrid. Uh, what I've found um, is that when you've had the opportunity to build companies from the ground up, uh, you tend to understand the particularities a bit more and you really commiserate with the founders and understand where they're coming from and what their actual challenges are. And I find that it's useful for all aspects of the business. So when you're sourcing deals and determining which ones are actually compelling, you can see through some of what's being said to what's actually being said because you've been there. And so it's great for evaluating uh, when it comes to and, and sourcing. And then when it comes to supporting uh, the founders in the portfolio as well, um, you can really lean in, been there. In my case, you know, I have a roller desk and networks and the specific expertise and experience that you can bring to bear. Um, and I think for the founders themselves, they see that as well and they feel that and um, it can be a competitive advantage uh, when it when there's when there are many VCs looking to get into a deal. Um, and, and that can be uh, pretty useful as well. And uh, you know, last but not least, I think just in terms of you know being able to walk in someone's shoes and really being empathetic and understanding where they're coming from, um, it helps uh, in that regard as well. So for me, it's like it's not just a job; it's not just a business. Yeah, I am a founder, but I'm also an investor. So when I look to be supportive uh, to founders that you know we value and doing whatever with, you know, I see myself in them in a in a real tangible way, and I think that comes across in my interactions with them as well. And I think it ends up being in that positive. I love how you talk about being able to understand where they are. I think that's super insightful. We talked about how the company informed you in venture capital, but how did you become interested in venture capital in the first place? Good question, Isabella. Um, when I went to business school, I already had financial like banking experience. And I had actually already been entrepreneurial and built companies. And I actually thought I was going into business school for the purpose of then going to the buy side and going to the early stage investment. So I actually thought I'd be doing venture sooner. Um, the reality, anyone who knows me knows that you know, I'm very entrepreneurial. So when it comes to investing, it would have just made so I've always been interested in that part of the ecosystem, it just took me a little longer to get there. And part of the reason it took longer to get there is because the opportunity that I had post business school just seemed like something that you can't pass up, right? Like $500 billion working with the CEO, global footprint. And I was told that that's just something you should do. And I think, I think it was true. And I enjoyed that. Um, but I think. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I've, I've known that I wanted to get into that space for quite some time. And I think it, it, in some ways, it dovetails with, you know, your previous question, um, being a founder and how to put the message. Well, you know, once you've built some enterprises and built businesses, um, you want to help others do the same. And being in VC kind of enables that. Right. So through being a VC, instead of building one or two or three more companies, I can help build dozens or hundreds of companies and enable others to, to see their dreams. So it feels like a natural progression 
relative to where I am in my career at this point. Awesome. You mentioned this in your introduction, but something that I think is super unique about you is your experience in martial arts. I was wondering if you could talk about that and what you gained from it and how you think that's helped you as an investor too. I can't take a whole lot of credit for being a martial artist. My father did it before me. My kids do it. It's kind of it's like a family affair, if you will. But look, I think of martial arts in its pure sense is almost a way of being. And uh, whether it's investing or building businesses, it's often not easy. <laughs> so one of the benefits of being a martial artist is um, being able to, to have an objective and work through adversity to get there and being undeterred by discomfort. And um, so that's that's one of uh, the benefits, I would say. Another is having a place where one finds peace and kind of as a as a uh, right because again when you're going through like whether it's investing or entrepreneurship there are a lot of moving parts that are inconsistent and you typically don't know what to expect from one day to another um martial arts often can be that thing where there's some stability and you're able to build from one day to the next and it complements uh kind of the portfolio of investment activities, so, so that's something else. Um, a tangible benefit is just physical fitness and overall well-being. Um, you know, you're you're a student now, and you're, you know, you'll probably be a student for a while, if not forever. We're always learning, but I think oftentimes uh, we only focus on the intellectual development, but there's definitely benefit in um, evolving our full being, so the physique, the spirit, the emotions, and everything. And I think martial arts lends itself to that in a real way. And over time, it significantly uh, complements one's ability to be an investor and to discern and to pick good partners and to pick good companies. And you know, many of the things uh, in investing are amplified uh, by you know, the martial arts experience and just the overall well-being. Um, the last thing I'll say on that front is, you know, investing or just life against, hopefully it's more of a marathon than a sprint. And so, at least for me as a martial artist, it's allowed me to operate close to my peak and continue to expand my peak over time. Um, and after a while, you definitely see the difference between people who take care of their asset, quote unquote, and people who don't, and you're able to get a lot more mileage, right? So it's not just, uh, you know, the, the years, it's like the life in the years and really maximizing that. And the time that I've put into my practice, I feel like it's allowed me to get a lot more out of my career and, and investing um, in general. That's incredible. Your LinkedIn bio says that you're leading in a way in applying use of collective expert intelligence and tech and venture capital to unlock resources for women, Black, Hispanic, Asian, and other represented founders. And when I first saw this, I was super inspired by it. 
and think that this is something that is incredible, that this is something that you make very clear and is something that you're really passionate about. I was wondering if you could talk about why this is important to you. Sure, and I think for the question, Isabella, um, you know, I mean, I think you know a lot of these stats already, but the demographic that we target, women, Black, Hispanic, Asian people that have the largest margin, they represent a significant majority of the population, but they get a tiny percentage of the capital in VC. And, um, you know, that does us all a disservice, both from the perspective of returns and also just being able to benefit from all that intellect and expertise, right? So knowing all that, I thought it was important that if we're going to put our time and energy into making investments, that we really look into that sector. Um, all the data shows, whether you know, from McKinsey, Tech, Crunch, uh, you'll see that um, the performance among that demographic is actually better uh, than than the folks that actually get the capital. So women apparently return more capital; they return quicker. Uh, diverse teams lead to you know better returns. So we know that that's, you know, that's what the data shows, but the capital has not been flowing that direction. So that's one part of why we do what we do. The other thing is that, as you write out, I'm definitely very entrepreneurial. I'm a founder from my core. So although I'm building a venture fund with an amazing team, we still want to be entrepreneurial with respect to how we do it. So venture has been around for decades. It's been done in a particular way. Maybe 25% of those who have done it have done really well, which is great. And many amazing companies that we all know started off partially because they got venture funding. So there are definitely aspects of the business that are very good. <clears throat> With that being said, 75% about of VCs have not done so well. Like They might as well have done something else. They would have been better off. But to me, that suggests there's probably some process level innovation that could make the model better so that it's more scalable and that it can scale without giving up on performance. And that for us is where it made sense to incorporate technology into our actual business, as well as the use of collective expertise through the form of community, such that we can actually do the business of venture more effective. We can source more effectively evaluate more effectively, support companies more effectively. And in as far as we do all those things, and we've started over the last year and a half or so, we're getting good, good folk. Uh, we think, you know, that just leads to better outcomes. And then we pour that thesis into, you know, the demographic that we mentioned uh, previously, and it, you know, it should lead to outperformance. So, um, hopefully uh, that answers your question. Yes, thank you. You touched on using technology in your process at Good Light Capital. Something that I found super inspiring is how you want to innovate the industry and not just invest in these companies, but also try to improve venture capital as a whole through one, investing in underrepresented founders, but then two, being able to invest in the best possible way. You touched on the technology side of this, but you use AI in your process, which is something that is super timely right now with the rise of ChatGPT and other AIs. Could you talk a little bit more about this and what that process looks like? Sure. So 
we have our own proprietary tech stack that we call Bright Portal. So the Bright Portal good light. Um, and it, you know, it's kind of building as we fly as well. Um, initially, a lot of the benefit has just come from the broad community that we've developed and our ability to integrate all their data and information such that we can make better decisions. And, you know, if you think of AI or artificial intelligence, it's really about aggregating large amounts of information to make better decisions. Um, and you're seeing ChatGPT and you're seeing others incorporate into their businesses. And that's essentially what we've done uh, up to this point. The, the value that we've derived has been from the evaluation so that we can evaluate the companies uh, far more effectively than we would if we were only relying on our small team. Also, in terms of sourcing, right, the types of companies we source and how we source them, relying on some technology and it has to do that as well as the data that is provided by the community. Because often, especially, I mean, it's one thing to read through everything yourself and decide, was that a positive comment or a negative comment? But that's not as scalable. <laughs> but using AI to train our engine, but at this point, I think we've trained it on close to a million data points. And so they can recognize uh, different comments from people and determine if that was positive or negative and give it weight accordingly. So those are some of the benefits. And then over time, as we get more and more data and we do more data than we get more participants, we'll also be able to tag members of the community relative to their comments on past deals, uh, see what their comments were relative to what actually happens, and then weight that information uh, on future deals uh, based on different subject areas and you know, how smart people actually are in different subjects. Uh, because oftentimes, you don't actually know what we're good at and what we're not good at, but the data doesn't lie. I mean, sometimes we don't uh, interpret it properly, but the data is there. Right? So uh, we're trying to be very thoughtful with respect to all those elements so that you know, we can make better decisions um, yeah, and, and you're correct. Like right now, it's like all the way within uh, something earlier. Bill Gates was saying that AI is the biggest innovation in the last few decades. He probably said that because I'm sure he feels like uh, PCs were the other big innovations. So he wouldn't say the last century. But either way, it's, uh, you know, big things are happening there. We want to make sure that we're thoughtful with respect to incorporating into what we call the future of venture capital. And then we also want to make sure that, you know, these demographics that heretofore have not been as involved in the tech revolutions are more involved and are also benefiting from it. And so we're trying to be really intentional about the integration of big data and AI into our process for all those reasons. And I know we didn't talk about it yet, and I'm sure we will, but, you know, for us, we're also <laughs> quite intent on kind of that intersection of tech and solving for significant challenges in my talking about. So climate, health, education, future employment, financial inclusion. Um, and, uh, you know, we're hopeful that through that intentionality, we'll be able to come up with you know, some really interesting uh, solutions and outcomes. And in years to come, we can look back and say, ah, oh, look at that, you know, we, we put our time to really good use. Incredible. I mean, you kind of just touched on this, but 
I was wondering if you could elaborate on what types of startups or industries you're interested in investing in and within those, what are some of the most significant investments or some favorite or notable investments that you have? Sure. Um, so look, the, the sectors that we like are you know, some of the ones I mentioned around climate, health, education, future employment, fintech. A particular segment of that that I'm personally liking even more these days is the intersection of heavy infrastructure, like utilities with technology. It's not something that is as obvious because you don't think of old industries as something that's really innovative. <laughs> but I'm finding that there's a lot of opportunity there. And you know, I, I think we'll be exploring more and more of that. And I can actually use that as a couple of the examples that, that you mentioned. So one of the companies that I invested in uh, maybe a year ago so is called Pano. They're using artificial intelligence and IoT sensors to prevent wildfires. And, you know, when we first got involved, they hadn't done much yet. They're just getting going. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure how much you know about this already, but uh, up to this point, we still rely mostly on people to see wildfires and report them. And in as far as it, it's too late, then there isn't much that can be done. You just have to wait for the fire to stop, and that can be really bad. And so by putting sensors in public spaces, it can detect whether it's smoke or fires or whatever, you know, and then notify the authorities. And so they've started to expand and within a very few amount of time, they went from nowhere to having a presence, you know, throughout the Midwest, the Pacific Northwest, California, Australia. Um, their revenue numbers skyrocketed like 100x. They raised 20 mil at six times the valuation we came in on in a relatively short amount of time. And this happened in this environment, right? And that's something else that I mentioned to people. It's like, when you're solving for things that are actually imported, they don't typically correlate to crypto or rates, right? We still have to put resources into those segments like wildfires are not going down because of you know, the macroeconomic climate. And so therefore that investment has built them very well. Um, and so that's an example of the type of thing we like. Um, another company that's kind of at that intersection of heavy infrastructure and tech um, is called Buzz Solutions, and they're using drone technology to repair utility wire lines, and they're able to do so safer and cheaper. And if you take a step back and look at the planet, there's like millions and millions and millions of feet and miles of utility lines that all need to be repaired, and right now they're again, being done by humans and it's dangerous and it's expensive. And so this company participating early, they recently had a large uh, follow-on round and now many large uh, utility companies are using them and it's still very early. And both of those companies, a female uh, CEO founders and underrepresented they doing very well. And there's no shortage of these types of founders and companies. And for me, as someone who's in the space, is very exciting. And so, you know, just looking forward to continuing to build there. Those are some awesome startups. You 
talk about the startups that you were able to invest in, but I was wondering if you could elaborate on the investment process. So how did you come across these, sourcing them? And then how did you do the diligence and actually make the investment decision on whether or not this was a company you wanted to support? The sourcing tends to come through a few different routes, right? In our case, because we literally have a, a very large built-in community that is part of our sourcing mechanism, that's one way that they come. And then the other is just through our own personal networks. Yeah, as you can imagine, I've been around you know, a lot of folks. And so as we're out there, uh, we source deals that way as well. So those end up being kind of the primary ways uh, that we're sourcing deals. And then once the deal comes in, we get so many, um, we initially screen it for just our basic characteristics that we're looking for. Is there an underrepresented founder? Are they solving for something important? Is this a really large addressable market? Is the solution something that can be scaled and we believe this team can actually execute on it? Um, is it a high margin type of business? Is it you know really tech? Is it protectable? Is someone else doing it? So those are some of the initial questions that are asked. And usually those things pretty quickly, most companies just don't have that, right? So it's usually pretty easy to, to screen like 90% of companies against those things because it's a lot of things. It's easy to talk about all those things, but it's not easy to have, to have all that in one business. And then for the instances where, yes, in fact, there's a company that's really interesting that covers all those bases, then we'll look more closely, right? We'll have someone on our team, I sent some questions to the founders, and and then from there, if they're still interested, then we'll have a conversation internally, ask more questions, and if we're good, then we'll go back to the team and see. And and again, with us, our approach is a little different. So what I just described would be about the end of the typical process, where you ask lots of questions, you discuss amongst yourselves, maybe an IC and then you make a decision. With us, we do all those things I just said, but then from there, we'll typically take it to the community and we'll have dozens of relevant experts from the community participate. Um, and we'll have a conversation, we'll have the founder or founders come in, do their pitch, um, probably virtually. And then um, people can ask questions. And shortly after that, uh, feedback is provided in a qualitative manner as well as quantitative and it's all converted to quantitative uh, using our bright portal and then we score it on a scale of one to 100 and if it meets our threshold which is usually something north of 70 then we take it more seriously we'll likely invest because by the time we take it to the community we usually like it but the community part is kind of an additional screen because sometimes you know, we're not perfect, right? There are things that we may have not asked. It's like a small group of people ask questions, which is much larger. And so we think of that segment of the process as something that keeps us honest, that makes sure our process more objective. Because another shortcoming of the traditional venture model is we as humans tend to like ourselves and people who are like us. <laughs> so it's possible that if it was just me on the investment committee, even though I might not intend to, I might just be backing a bunch of other people 
who were born in New York, grew up in Miami, and spent summers in Haiti. I think that's so amazing. <laughs> and then I might miss uh, certain obvious things <laughs> that uh, may not lead to success. And so we try to make sure our process is as robust, thorough, disciplined, and systematic and unbiased as possible uh, so that we can make smart decisions. And yeah, that's more or less the process. And once a company makes it through all that, then, you know, we'll look to invest in that. That would usually take two to three weeks. I love how you speak with other people in the industry and try to get their inputs when you're investing in these companies. What are some of the challenges you face as a venture capitalist and how are you able to overcome them? I'd say for me slash good night, um, look, we're looking to do something big and differentiate because we're entrepreneurial within the VC space. So one of the challenges is just getting the good light propositions in a place where it's fully understood, fully respected. And it's like, oh, wow, this is this is serious. So we're getting there, but there's still uh, some ways to go on that front. And then the other thing that uh, people often don't realize is even as a venture capitalist, you still also have to raise capital, right? Because uh, as a founder, you know, there's all the stories about founders raising money and how hard it is. And that is true. It is hard as a founder. But if you think about it as a founder, at least you have a company that hopefully is exciting and you're able to talk about it and raise capital for that company. Whereas as a VC, as we're looking to scale the VC and put more capital to work, you're basically raising money in order to back companies that you haven't found yet, right? So it's like a blind pool. And so that can be very challenging. It's like raising the capital and getting you know, you know, getting access uh, to larger pools of capital so that you can really scale uh, the enterprise and the investments more effective. So I would say for us at this point, that's probably the greatest challenge that we're currently solving for because we're still relatively new. So over the last 18 months, we've been making investments and proving out the model. Um, and if you think of VC as having, you know, if you relate it to a table with four legs, uh, three of the legs, sourcing co- sourcing companies, evaluating companies, supporting companies, we were really confident on that part. We didn't find that part. The fourth leg is an efficient source of capital, and that's the part that we're currently working on. And you know, we're, we're cautiously optimistic that we're going to work that out as well. You talk about revolutionizing venture capital. What do you think the future of the space is and how do you think the industry is going to evolve in the coming years? I think the future of the space parallels significantly what we're doing at Goodlight. So I think you're going to see more platform models that can really scale and bring to bear like significant resources um, to the companies that are being invested in. And I think there's going to be a premium in the market for those types of offerings. And I'm excited about that. Uh, the other thing that I think you're going to see is more of a movement towards impact, real impact. And I think that's going to actually be driven by the capital providers. Um, and we've already been seeing that in the public markets, something like over $40 trillion has move towards ESG strategies as they're looking for impact. 
Um, and I think you're going to start seeing that push through the private capital markets and venture a lot more. So uh, what we're doing in terms of targeting uh, underrepresented founders and targeting climate, health, education, future, employment, things that we think it's the right thing to do, it, and that's why we're doing it and recording. Uh, but I think over the next few years, it's going to become a table stakes, and it's going to be driven by a lot of capital um, that's looking to affect that change as well. And so, you know, especially for new folks coming out of school wanting to look into the space, I highly uh, encourage uh, people to move uh, in that direction as well. Awesome. And to close out, are there any ways that you stay up to date on industry trends and emerging technologies that you recommend people check out? Well, you know, for me, it tends to be, you know, a lot of uh, speaking with industry insiders, kind of primary information. I do a lot of that. I'm not sure how helpful that is for the folks listening to the podcast. Listening to certain podcasts, you know, whether it's Tim Ferriss or um, certain blogs uh, like uh, Wait But Why, and, you know, just staying at the at the front end of, of what's happening in various sectors. Um, I think also, you know, being authentic, so uh, being cognizant of what you actually care about and staying up to speed on what's happening in that space and where the innovations lie. And I think that helps you get a pulse uh, for what's happening. So kind of earlier I mentioned, I uh, like that intersection of infrastructure and tech. So I'm going to be looking at that more. Um, and then, you know, who are the experts? You know, I look at like the McKinsey reports and, and various others. But for me in particular, I like people. And so I tend to go with kind of primary sources and people who are at the front end, scientists and folks who are, you know, working in the space. And I get a lot of my information that way. But, you know, there are all types of ways of getting information, especially nowadays. And so, uh, uh, you know, uh, I encourage folks to customize uh, the approach for getting information. It's, it's a lot easier to get that information now than it was uh, years ago. Amazing. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing all of your insights. And I look forward to more conversations in the future. It's my pleasure, Isabella. Thank you. I'm looking forward to, you know, continuing to build with you. Really impressed uh, by what you're building and looking forward to a bright future. Thank you so much for listening to the Girls Who VC podcast and supporting us. Make sure to check out our website, girlswhovc.com, and follow us on social media. See you next week.